This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome back to The Voice of the Shepherd with Bishop Peter Smith. I'm Dina Marie, and today we're going to focus on the joys of the priesthood and this vocation for life. Welcome back, Bishop Smith. It's always great to have you in studio with us. Good to be with you, Dina Marie, and all you wonderful folks who are listening in on Mater Day Radio or live streaming. Glad you could be with us. Well, during this time of Eucharistic revival and uh, Archbishop Sample's message, you know, Jesus changes everything, I look at the growth in the church. And in fact, you know, the Archdiocesan newsletter is called Church Alive. Okay, so we've had these priestly ordinations. We've had a transitional diaconate ordination. You've recently witnessed another a bishop ordination that came from here. So let's just talk a little bit about some of the ordinations, some of what you've seen just locally in this church in Western Oregon that reminds us, you know, Christ is always working. The church is alive. The Holy Spirit is calling. And so we're starting to see some great fruits in the church. Be uh, glad to talk with you about all that, but I'm going to uh, yes. start off with a plug because of something you mentioned, which is the Church Alive newsletter. It's an electronic newsletter that we send out, I think it's every Thursday, to people who are on our uh, email database. And if you, you can sign up for it very easily if you go to the front page of the Archdiocesan website, which is ARCHD. PDX, so it's archdpdx.org. It'll pull up the page, and if you go down towards the bottom on the right-hand side, there's like six blocks, and one of them is Church Alive Newsletter. Sign up there. Mm -hmm. If you just give them your email, they will send it out to you along with everybody else at least once a week. And this is building up to be something. It's not as comprehensive as the Sentinel yet, but we're building up that way, and it has all kinds of interesting things in it. We're starting, for example, to put homilies from different priests in there, notifications of all the things that are going on in the archdiocese, uh, different events that are happening, different speakers that are coming in, and all of these kinds of things, including uh, ordinations that yeah. are coming up. So, yeah, we have we have a, a deacon being ordained, who next year hopefully will be ordained a priest. Mm-hmm. And then we have three uh, deacons who are currently in the seminary, who will be ordained to the priesthood. So it's uh, a joyful time for all of us. And yes, as you mentioned, I was earlier this year at the ordination of a bishop, a priest from this diocese, Father Pat Neary, a Holy Cross brother mm-hmm. of ours, who was uh, at pastor up at uh, Holy Redeemer Parish right. in North Portland, who the Holy Father appointed as Bishop of St. Cloud, Minnesota. And so I was blessed to be there 
for his Episcopal ordination, and I was especially blessed that he asked me to be one of his two principal co-consecrators. So whenever a bishop, a priest who is ordained a bishop, there is a principal consecrator, which is usually the metropolitan of the area or somebody designated in that capacity, and then two other bishops who the, the priest can choose. And in my case, when I was ordained a bishop, uh, Archbishop Sample, because he was the metropolitan, mm-hmm. was the principal co-consecrator, and I asked for Archbishop Vlasny mm-hmm. as one of the, uh, the, the principal co-consecrators because he ordained me a deacon and a priest. And then I asked for Bishop Carey, who's the bishop from Baker, Oregon, because he was the vocation director here yes. when we entered the seminary here and is a good friend. So in case of uh, now Bishop Pat Neary, uh, it was the Archbishop of St. Paul, Minneapolis, Archbishop Hebner, and then he asked me, and then the, there's one other Holy Cross bishop in the United States, Bishop Bill Walker, Pensacola, Tallahassee. And so we were the principal co-consecrators for Bishop Neary. So that was a wonderful experience. Ordination of a bishop normally takes about two hours because of all the different things that happen. And if any of you out there who are being confirmed think we use a lot of chrism on you, you ain't seen nothing until you see a bishop being ordained because they will take a flask of chrism and pour it all over your head just like the scriptures Mm -hmm. do. And you have to be careful it doesn't get in your eyes. A good friend of mine <laughs> mm. who was auxiliary in Seattle and is now a bishop somewhere else, it got in his eyes, and he couldn't see for a while. <laughs> he had to keep wiping it out of his eyes, the, 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 the chrism that was there. This is, in the spring, is when we tend to do uh, ordinations. Uh, with the new um, uh, program for priestly formation, that may be modified a bit. We may be getting deacon ordinations coming in um, November or December, somewhere in there, and then ordinations to the priesthood in the spring. For permanent deacons, uh, that is usually also in the spring hmm. when they finish their academic and also their their uh, formation as deacons through the deacon office. Right. And let's just talk a little bit about the priesthood, and I was thinking about in the Easter season, we hear from the Acts, and there's this one reading from the Acts of the Apostles when the seven deacons are being instituted, and and all of these complaints about everybody's not being treated fairly, and here are the apostles saying, we can't spend our time on this, we need to focus on prayer and the Word of God. Not that those things weren't important, but there was something unique and special about the role for them for as a bishop, as a priest, that they needed others to do. And I think the priesthood, it's a particular role. I can't do that role. I have other things to do in my laity as a, as a vocation, as a wife, as a mother and service. But what are those unique things that we need to keep in mind for our priests and then for our bishops? They have a particular role that only they are called to through their vocation in an ordination. Yeah, so the, the diaconate, uh, is a, the, is the, their ministry is a ministry of service. So the reading for the fifth, one of the readings for the fifth week was the, the seven deacons being chosen uh, in, in the Acts of the Apostles. And it's very clearly, they're set aside for the ministry of service, and they're ordained and hands are laid on them for that, which is what you see happening in the ordination of a deacon. The bishop will lay hands on them and ordain them. There are other things that go into that as well, but 
that comes directly from the scriptures. So mm-hmm. the deacons are have a ministry of service. So deacons will get two assignments from the archbishop. One is a particular service, which that can be changed, and then a particular parish. So the, the deacon is not ordained to be the assistant to the priest at the parish, and the only time you ever see him is at masses and so on. Now, the deacon can be of great assistance because deacons can do funeral services, baptism, funeral services and weddings outside of mass, and he can do baptisms. So, and then he can do all these other pastoral elements that like hospital visitation and so on. And one of our deacons is, has an assignment where he assists our funeral homes. Mm-hmm. So where they are unable to get a priest or they don't want a church service, but they want something at the graveside, he's available to come in and just do that graveside service. So there's a great example of mm-hmm. a deacon fulfilling his ministry. Others work with the poor, others visit prisons, and so on. So that's a ministry of service. For priests, the priests are those who preside at the liturgy and preside at the community, at worship, and at sacraments, and who are the collaborators of the bishop in his ministry in the diocese. So the local church is not your parish. Mm -hmm. The local church is the bishop in a diocese surrounded by the priests, deacons, religious, and laypeople. That's your local church. And early on, when dioceses were small and they had like several congregations, I mean, they were not dioceses, but groupings around a bishop. But as the church grew, this became bigger and bigger and bigger. And so now we have to adjust with that. So here in the Archdiocese of Portland, the the local church is is headed by Archbishop Sample. And so I assist Archbishop Sample in his role as the the bishop leading this diocese, and the priests, the deacons around him, assist him in his pastoral care of the people in this diocese. So that's the whole focus there. So priests assist the bishop. They're not free agents out there. Mm Uh, There was another reading in the Acts of the Apostles where they were talking about, and even some priests became faithful to Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Every time I used to hear that, I would laugh, think, wow, (laughs) even that. So Even that. We know that it takes at least seven, sometimes nine years for men to go through the seminary for their formation, depending upon what type of education and life experience they've had before they enter the seminary, if we're looking at our diocesan priesthood. And it might be different for particular orders, whether it's the Jesuits, whether it's Holy Cross, there's hundreds of them, they might have different things. But it doesn't seem like your education ends once you're ordained a priest, that there's like this ongoing formation of priests as they move through their entire ministry. What are some of those things that happen? Uh, usually it's the the hard knocks, you know, this is just how I learn is being thrown into a parish, or for you, you've been at schools with parishes and schools, a lot going on. What are those things that help keep those priests formed throughout their priesthood? Well, one would hope <laughs> that uh, priests would continue to uh, seek to be formed and to grow in their formation and understanding of uh, priestly life and ministry. Uh, it's regarding the formation period, it, as you said, it all depends on life experience of the individual and then also um, what kind of education and preparation they have before. So 
it, it can be fairly short or can be significant. If somebody has no college education at all, then we have to get the undergrad done and then uh, the four years of theology. There's a propedeutic year in there that's now come into play. So we sort of look at all of that and we mix and match. There's a pastoral year where people are supposed to work in parishes, but that's also being modified. So I know uh, fellows who have been ordained after four years. They've come into the, they're older. They've lived, say, in a religious community. They've worked for the church. They come in. They've they've got all their prerequisites out the way. They just do the four years of theology, and then they're good to go. And they've turned out to be excellent. Uh, for younger guys, you you don't have any college, so now. We have to, it's a longer process to do that with. In terms of ordination, this is like, uh, after ordination, this is like any business or profession. Mm -hmm. You have to do your um, professional ongoing formation that is necessary. So it's like doctors, uh, uh, lawyers, all, all these folks, you have to do all kinds of additional things, a number of hours each year, of continuing education to keep up to date on things. So for clergy, um, that's largely until recently been left to their own devices. Here in the archdiocese, there's the spiritual component, so we do priest retreats. Um, now we're, t- we're tending to do more smaller ones at different times of the year, like a Lenten one or an Advent one at Mount Angel. There's the mid-year priest retreat. Other guys go on their own retreats, with either groups of people or themselves. The bishops in this region all have their own retreat. So you have that spiritual element and then other things that go with that. Other sides of that is we have the priest convocation and there's continuing education days that are offered through the clergy office. So you look at like not too long ago, we had one on the whole gender dysphoria thing. Uh, other, other topics like that or aspects of how to preach this through the course of the church year. Uh, another one would would be something like the Acts 29 Kerygma mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, amazing parishes and that type of yeah. thing. So th- that sort of the, all those kinds of things are opportunities to help us. Uh, we're never too old mm-hmm. to 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 stop. Uh, we can always learn more. It, it, it's we can always learn more up to the moment where we uh, end this life and go to the next. So and some at some. Priests are very good at taking those opportunities, reading, studying, reflecting, constantly uh, redeveloping their homilies. I know, I know one priest who he keeps a record of his homilies, but he that's simply so that he doesn't repeat the one that he did three years ago, whatever it was. And he starts with a clean sheet of paper and then goes from there. He prays, reflects, studies, and, go, and goes from there. So those opportunities are presented. And then we encourage people that they, where they can to go to conferences or go to things, uh, uh, training. So right now, a number of our guys have been going to uh, Dr. Bob Shooks and the John Paul II Healing Center, healing the whole person retreats. In fact, we're bringing Dr. Shooks and his team here, including Sister Miriam Heidland, uh, who's just dynamic uh, at the end of this year to do a general one for all who wish to come. So those are all opportunities that we offer. Other, other, other opportunities, people go to conferences like the L.A. Congress or the Focus Mission Congress, those kinds of things. So those are all opportunities that we encourage people to participate in 
so that they can continue to grow and become like the scripture talks about, the steward who brings forth from his, his storehouse treasures are both, that are both old and new. Right, right. And I think about there's a difference between the diocesan priesthood and you live in a community. So our religious orders typically live in a community. So there's a little bit more opportunity to work within that community than one priest living on his own in a rectory could be in a little town in, you know, in, in Ashland or Medford or Central Point. What are the different ways that the presbyterate, that the priest can help one another? Because you can become, I think it could be a, a, become a Lone Ranger pretty easily in a lot of situations if you don't have a fraternity, if you don't have the shepherd and that relationship with your archbishop or bishop that helps to keep you focused. We all need that, whether we're laity and then raising children and in the home, or we're trying to help our parishes like our priests. What are the differences in a diocesan priest situation and where you experience with your own community? Well, to, to say that communities have that built in is not necessarily the case. Some communities like uh, do have it built in. So, for example, you look at the Dominicans. Uh, some communities move in packs, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good way to do it. Dominicans, the Holy Cross are that way. Um, so they, they, they downtown St. Andre uh, Bassett downtown chapel. There's just one Holy Cross priest there. They used to be a brother, but they're all up with the Holy Cross community right. up at UP. The folks at Holy Redeemer, they live in the rectory there, but they normally have two priests and a, a deacon or somebody who is about to become a deacon there. So they have their own little community, and then it's a 10-minute drive down the road, and then they have all they go back at least once a week or more for community with the Holy Cross brothers, but they're, they're brothers who are Holy Cross priests back there. So in community, you are accountable in a way that mm-hmm. uh, more immediately accountable, let me put it that way, than you are if you're a diocesan priest. If you're a diocesan priest, you are accountable, and you're accountable to the bishop. Uh, you're not a free agent, but you do have to take responsibility for yourself and your own formation and your own life as a priest. And the problem that happens is people get ordained and they get o- get overwhelmed or sucked into their work to a degree that those other elements f- fade away or uh, are sort of in the f- in the far background. And you can do that for a while, but at some point you begin to run out of energy, you begin to run out of ideas, you begin to run out of this and that and whatever you need to continue to do your ministry as a priest. The challenge then is, the reality is, if you want to have fraternity and you want to have relationship with others, you have to be willing to make some sort of sacrifice. You can't just, it's not like, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to stream a movie to keep entertained, and when I'm done, I end the movie stream. So when you have a relationship with other people, that's key. And one of the good things we're seeing is the younger priests really desire that. And we see it also in religious communities where they don't have as much emphasis on the friendship and support of one another. The younger clergy, they want that. And so we have pre-support groups or caritas groups, um, people getting together and doing things together. And what we discovered with the Archbishop Senecal, the Archbishop's doing a Senecal about once a quarter with priests, it started off as more of a 
uh, let's do business here. And But the general sense among the guys is, look, we do business on all these other things. Let's just get together, pray, a, pray a, do some adoration before the Blessed Sacrament, have dinner together, mm-hmm. and just catch up with one another. And then if there are any uh, just free-flowing Q&A time or something. Mm-hmm. So that tells you what's going on. People want that connection with one another. And when you're in the middle of the firestorm in your parish, that's when guys decide, re, begin to realize it's really helpful to have those relationships with brother priests where you can say, hey, Jim, <laughs> I'm under the gun here. Can you guys pray for me, you know, mm-hmm. keep me in prayer and so on? And they can encourage you. Uh, so that priestly fraternity, we're, we're really trying to foster that in the archdiocese in a variety of different ways because part of it is if you have that fraternity in the sense that it's not that these people are identical to me or even think the same on everything. But if you have that fraternity, then that allows a real communio to develop and you can start moving forward in that sense. And what happens is there'll be people who aren't interested in that, but when more and more guys are interested in that and moving, suddenly there's another group of people that says, hey, we don't want to be left behind. So they join in as well. You know, They just take a little more convincing. Right. There are a few people that will always be they're out there. They're doing their own thing. They're not interested. People are free, you know. So, but there comes a point with them too, where it's now suddenly they need help or assistance. Right. And you talk about fostering that formation, fostering the fraternity. And I think about at least what I'm aware of. The last twenty three years, we've had this Quovadis Days vocation uh, camp gathering to help foster an idea of prayer life, uh, the priestly vocation in young men who may have that spark in their heart. They may be on that road to the priesthood. What have you learned from Quo Vadis Days? Did you have anything like that growing up in, in South Africa, of some kind of a gathering of young men to help foster the priesthood? There was none of that. Yeah. It was so that the, when people ask me, what can I do to see whether I have a a vocation to the priesthood or religious life. The first thing I'll tell them is develop, as we say in the archdiocese here, and the archbishop says a lot, a life-giving, ongoing, transformative personal relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However that works, you need that personal relationship with God because if you're going to give up or consider giving up something as wonderful and blessed as marriage and family life, you're not going to give it up as I say, well, if I want to do this job, I have to sacrifice that. As human beings, that's a bad way to start mm-hmm. a vocation. Um, and in a similar way, get married. Well, I'm going to marry him or her because I have to, but I'd really like to do this. Mm. Good luck. But you have to have that. As human beings, we make the the, the discernment it's it's easy to discern usually between good and bad, but when you have several goods, mm-hmm. good things, how do you discern? Right. So part of it is to develop that relationship, that life-giving, ongoing, transformative personal relationship with God, and allow the Lord to move your heart and your mind to see which of these do you love the most. And the fact that you choose one over another doesn't mean that one is bad. It just means that God moves my heart in this way to intend to pursue this. You know, this is also what what I say with uh, 
sometimes in other contexts with people, why did your parents marry each other? Well, because they loved each other. Yes, but they loved each other more than anyone else that they could possibly have married. So love moves us, and that relationship moves us. So you need to have that relationship with God so that then you can begin to discern. So if you're going to discern whether you're going to marry somebody, what do you do? You date them, you hang out with them, you spend time with them to get to know them. Well, if you're going to ask God what he might have for your life or invite you to consider for your life, you need to do something similar. Mm -hmm. Hang out with him, spend time with him, develop that relationship with him. And in the context of that, God will invite you to consider things. I say invite to consider because God doesn't mandate this stuff for our lives. It's, it's like we have that freedom that God gives us, and God wants us to follow him in that freedom. And you start there, and part of get, then going from there is getting to know priests, getting to know religious, mm-hmm. getting to know this life and seeing it and see what the Lord does in your heart with this. Right, right. And I think Quilvada's Days does that. It really brings young men into this environment, meeting seminarians, meeting priests, meeting the archbishop, having that time. And I think a key is adoration. When I see men in adoration, uh, this is this is, this is is gold, and this is really key. So uh, let's continue to pray for the joy of the priesthood and for us laity to be able to support you, our priests, our shepherd in the church, and that is through our prayers and our love. So we'll continue to do that throughout this summer season. And with that, uh, Bishop Smith, it's always great to have you joining us. Would you help us close with your prayer and blessing? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for the way that you call us to follow you with our lives. Lord, we thank you for the particular call you give to each one of us in our lives, whether it is to follow you as married husbands and wives with families, whether it's to follow you a single people dedicated to you, whether it is to follow you in consecrated life, whether it is to be open to a vocation to the priesthood or even the, di- the diaconate, whatever you call us to, Lord, we ask you that you would continue what you've begun in us, strengthen our faith, fan that flame of love of you in our hearts and our lives into a roaring fire. And Lord, open our hearts and our minds that however you call us to love you and serve you and follow you, we would be open to that and res- would respond with great love of our, of our own towards you and what you entrust to us and invite us to. Bless us now and bless all those who are seeking your wisdom and guidance for their lives. And we ask this all in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And we thank you all for tuning in to this episode of The Voice of the Shepherd. We invite you to join us again next week. For Bishop Peter Smith, I'm Dina Marie. Until our next encounter, may God bless you. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through moderndayradio.com 
or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.